0: Hi everybody, welcome to Ask Dr. Jessica. I'm your host and pediatrician, Dr. Jessica Hockman. In this podcast, my goal is to give you quality information about common health concerns facing children. And my hope is that by learning more, you will in turn worry less about parenting. In this episode, I welcome dermatologist Hal Weitzbach, And we will be talking about common itchy rashes that kids get like cradle cap, dandruff, ringworm, eczema, athlete's foot, hives, and even sunburns. He gives a great explanation for why these skin conditions occur and what we can do to get them better. Also, I will be starting my interactive workshop to help you worry less about raising your toddlers. I'll be hosting this course via Zoom every Tuesday in March, starting at noon, and we are going to review the most common questions that I hear about raising toddlers. I'm really excited about it. And if you are interested, send me an email to askdrjessicamd at gmail.com. Now on to the podcast. I'm so excited to have Hal Whitesbuck here today. How are you?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for coming to the studio, my studio, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is my office uh, transformed into a fake studio, surrounded
1: in all of your awards and family photos. Very uh. beautiful.
0: Um, so, so tell me about yourself. So, you're a dermatologist. It's true. Where do you work?
1: So, I'm not too far from your office. We're in Calabasas. Our office used to be known as the Calabasas Dermatology Center, and we uh, just rebranded and switched our name to Brilliance Dermatology, and we've opened a second location in Thousand Oaks as well.
0: That's wonderful. Good for you. So you're expanding.
1: Yeah. That's why we changed the name. Figured the uh, Calabasas Dermatology Center didn't make as much sense in Thousand Oaks.
0: And do you like what you do?
1: Love it. I always say work is work, but if I have to do anything, this is what I'd like to do for the rest of my life, and I'm pretty blessed to be able to do it every day.
0: And you're a father?
1: Father of three, like yourself. Three little girls. They're four, six, and eight. Zoel, Lula, and Apolline.
0: Beautiful. I'm one of three girls. It's the best. What number? I'm the oldest. Makes sense. And you take care of adults and children.
1: Yeah, I always say we do pediatric to geriatric. So we wow. do all the kids' rashes and growths. We do all the middle age things, including cosmetics, and then older skin, obviously tons of skin cancer. It's a huge variety. Yeah, a huge variety. That's what I like the most, is that I can do, I'm always doing something different every hour, every day.
0: Amazing. I have to say, my grandpa, my my mom's father, for years, every time I would see him when he knew I was applying to medical school, oh. <laughs> he would say to me three words, dermatology, dermatology, dermatology. So I I guess I disappointed him,
1: but... <laughs> I'm sure you weren't disappointed.
0: No, and I love dermatology. And one of the things I love about practicing pediatrics is so many of our visits involve something to do with the skin. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you where we can talk about... I, I really wanted to pick your brain about... Um, I thought the theme could be itchy rashes, like common itchy rashes that I see with kids go through the the most common questions that I hear. Perfect. So the first one is, what do you think about, what do you advise patients that come with dandruff when they have really itchy scalps? What's your go-to recommendation?
1: Well, it depends on what age they are. So if it's a baby, you're talking about cradle cap. And a lot of parents, I mean, most of my kids had cradle cap and... My kids had a lot of different skin conditions, which helps me when I'm talking to a parent, you know, if my child had it or I have the condition helps talking to them about it. Of course. Because if they have cradle cap and the kid isn't scratching it or it is not itchy at all, and the parent just doesn't like how it looks, I'll ask them, like, do you care how it looks? Because if you don't, there's no problem. You can just leave it. Right. It goes away eventually. So there's no need to do anything for it. You know, we have a whole gamut of parents uh, in our practices. I'm sure yours is very similar to mine, where a lot of parents don't want to use medications on their children rather use like oregano oil or something on any cut or bruise but you know it's a discussion to have you don't have to treat it uh if it's a five-year-old who comes in the office they shouldn't have dandruff five six-year-old pre prepubescent they don't have the androgens and the hormones to make the oil that usually drives the seborrhea and so it's uh, another question of what's going on. Is it tinea capitis? Is something else going on? There's also pitoriasis amiantacea, which is just like thick buildup of scale on the scalp. you
0: can say that word again.
1: Piteriasis amiantacea or tinea amiantacea. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> it's a good read it in a book many times. Um, it's word. just thick, 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 thick buildup of scale. In which case, mineral oil takes care of it. Washing, washing, and mineral oil. Um, but when it comes to you know your normal teenage seborrhea, which I've had since I was a teenager myself. There's a few things to educate the patients on, the parents on, if, if they're there. Number one, I love uh, ketoconazole shampoo, which is over-the-counter, Nizoral, 1%. 2%? Well, the 2% is prescription. The 1% is Nizorol. Make sure you're always letting it rinse or let it lather in the scalp for a good 5 to 10 minutes before washing it off. We always say five to 10 minutes in medicine, or we always tell patients more than they actually need to do, because they'll never do what we say. <laughs> I mean, if it's severe, you know, I'm in dermatology, so I've seen the severe cases when they get referred to me, and you know, I usually have them do it daily for a couple of weeks before they get control. Literally let it sit for a good solid five minutes. If okay. I tell patients, you put your shampoo in, you wash it in, you wash it out, it's not doing anything. Right. It's so fast that you're not getting the contact. Uh, and then after shower, if it's severe, it's topical steroids. And there's a uh, 0.01 solution, clobetazole if needed. There's even um, lotions and foams. You know, you can't really use a cream or an ointment in the scalp if there's hair too easily. And then also telling them, what are the triggers? So stress, a big trigger. Not sleeping enough, a big trigger. Well, not washing their face enough is a big trigger. Stress, not sleeping enough, the biggest things. And um, taking care, overall, you know, taking care of themselves.
0: And what about the, you know, the ones that you hear about in commercials, like Head and Shoulders, T Gel? Are you a fan of those as treatments for for dandruff?
1: Definitely. So um, once you get control with your ketoconazole and steroid, if needed, then I want them to use that more for when they need it. We call that more rescue therapy, as a, or they can do it once a week or once every other week, also pre- prevention. And then maybe Head and Shoulders is the go-to daily or every other day. You know, if it's a man, we'll talk about daily use. For women, it's twice a week of washing or something like that depending on who it is and their, how their hair is. I like it. Yeah, but there's also T-gel, there's T-sal, there's all the different over-the-counter ones. And tar is good if needed. T-sal, salicylic acid, good for thick scale. Um, just that they all have their their pros and cons. When I used to use my T-gel back in high school, my brother refused to use a shower after it makes it smell so bad. <laughs> he did. I kind of like the smell. I don't know.
0: Now, when you talk <laughs> about cradle cap and infants, I, I used to always pride myself on not being superficial. Oh, I don't mind if my kids have a little bit of cradle <laughs> cap. I'm going to ignore it. My son had the worst case of cradle cap I think I've ever seen, probably at least in the top three. And so I did give him, I put olive oil in his scalp, massaged alone? it in. Olive oil alone. Yep. Uh, massaged it in, used like a scrub brush and it came right out. Perfect. Yeah. It didn't come back? It did come back okay. a little bit, but never as bad as uh,
1: initially presented. Yeah. yeah. You're washing him so gently. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> true. Sure.
0: All right, so next question, uh, let's talk about ringworm. So ringworm comes up all the time. Um, a patient sees a circle rash on their child's body. It's itchy. They Google it, and they come to me, and they're worried it's ringworm. So mm. w- anything parents should know about ringworm?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing is always that it's not a worm.
0: Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I wish spe- it was named something else. <laughs> right.
1: Well, it looks like a, a circular, <laughs> serpiginous pattern on the body. Um for me in the office, I'll we'll say ringworm, layman's term, and bring it up to a patient. and their face always turns white, and always, it's not a worm. It's not just a little worm. bit of you say fungus. <laughs> like oh, it's even worse. Does anything
0: people take away from this talk together? Ringworm, not a worm. Not a
1: worm. <laughs> not a worm. <laughs> so, what 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 the question about ringworm? What, what are my recommendations? Or
0: so first, what does it look like?
1: All right, so a circular, usually erythematous or red spreading rash It starts as a little spot that can spread. And as it spreads, it's more like a ring and the center is clearing a little bit of scale. It's a little dry on the outside of it.
0: Right. So the, the interesting part about it, the center looks clear.
1: Right.
0: Um, now, how do people get it? A lot of people ask me if they can get it from their dogs, their pets, from other humans. How do people get ringworm?
1: Well, I mean, it depends what kind of fungus it is. So most uh, most of the fungus, most of the infections we see, whether it's nail, the feet, the groin, the skin... Uh, They're all tinea, and it's usually trichophyton. Different types of trichophyton is usually what it is. So trichophyton tonsurans is one very common one. depends on what area you're talking about, which is more common. But one from animals, like trichophyton mentagrophytes, is a more inflammatory tinea. That's more commonly to get from your animal, your pet, your dog. But the thing is, fungus is everywhere. Bacteria is everywhere. Fungus is everywhere. They're both omnipresent. So when they have that, yes, it's more contagious because there's a higher load of it in that area, and maybe it's a more invasive form, pathogenic form, but in general, most people can touch a little bit of ringworm and not get it. Um, Most of the people in my office have touched lots of warts and haven't gotten them. So it's not easy to get these different infections, but they're still infectious processes nonetheless.
0: So does the average child get it from somebody else?
1: Yeah, usually it's from other kids. Okay. Yeah, but it could be from parents in the house. A lot of fungus and nails.
0: I'm just thinking you have to know some really big words to be a dermatologist.
1: <laughs> well, I think that a for both Latin. of us, <laughs> yeah. medical school they say you learn 200,000 words. Oh, really? And then in dermatology it's another. <laughs> for some reason, the old dermatologists 100 years ago, all these guys were like, "We like Latin," and so every word's gonna be Latin. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys.
0: And and thanks, guys. Yes. <laughs> and is there anything that parents should know about in terms of preventing? ringworm or should we just I mean let the dice roll
1: first of all when you, if, if you get ringworm or if your child is diagnosed with a ringworm nothing to worry about nothing to freak out about at all most of the time it looks like eczema to begin with anyway uh, usually asymptomatic usually they're not scratching it too much unless it's inflammatory and usually not causing a major issue so nothing to be scared about nothing to be worried about number so first of all why are you trying to prevent something that if it happens it's easy to treat with a topical cream and not usually any concern, asymptomatic. So I wouldn't recommend any prevention measures other than normal hygiene. Normal cleanliness is what's most important.
0: So if somebody does have ringworm, what is the treatment that you do recommend? You said there's an easy cream.
1: Well, it depends on how severe it is, how much of the body is covered in it. You know, like tinea versicolor, which is not ringworm, which is the brown or white circles all over someone's back. Usually with sweat, usually in the summer, but also in the winter when they're wearing too many sweaters. Um, you can use the same ketoconazole shampoo for that we use for um, for cradle cap all over their back, their back, their chest, whatever it is. Let it sit 10 minutes daily for a couple days or a week, and it usually goes away. Similarly, with with ringworm, antifungals, ketoconazole cream or lamisole cream or clotrimazole cream, or if needed, there's stronger antifungals that you can get prescribed by your doctor. Put it on twice a day for two weeks or once a day for a month or depending on the medication, and it usually goes away.
0: I do find that fungal rashes take longer to go away than a lot of rashes. So I try to tell parents to expect that it might take a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you like, find that too? Yes, because steroids are so effective for eczema. Yes. So, I mean, you throw some clobetazole or triamcinolone or betamethasone on a small numular eczema patch, and it's gone within a few days. Right. Whereas with the fungus, you're killing the fungus, but then the skin has to recover from it. So it's a different process.
0: By the way, I just have to tell you the joke that my husband has about dermatologists. He says, if you see a rash, you don't really have to know what the name is, the fancy name. He says, you try one of three things and it's bound to work. You either try uh, a steroid. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work, then you move on to an antifungal. And if that doesn't work, then you move on to a really good thick emollient like Vaseline Aquaphor. <laughs> and he's like, you don't really need to know the fancy words. You just try one of those three things and, or com- or combine the two.
1: The other one they. Do you uh, take they issue say with that? About that? No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I do have an issue because you want the antifungal first. Okay. If you put okay. steroid on a fungal, make infection, it worse. It's going to make yeah. it worse. Yeah. Um, but another big joke they have for Derma is it, all we do. If we see a rash, if it's dry, make it wet. If it's wet, make it dry. That's right. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's talk about eczema. So you mentioned, you, you just briefly mentioned eczema. Very, very common rash that I see in kids. A lot of parents get frustrated with eczema because they'll get it better. It comes back. Um, just in general, do you have any thoughts on how you think about treating eczema?
1: Yeah, lots of thoughts on treating eczema. That's Obviously, it's one of the most common things we see. Number one, with eczema. I have a whole list I give patients when they come in. They don't know what they're doing. They go online and they see all these different websites with just Ran, written by someone some other country doesn't even know all the things about eczema so all this stuff online there's just so much information overload and misinformation
0: yes and by the um, way and i know eczema could be literally 20 talks in itself so
1: right so, so the simple boil it down really quick number one the skin is dry the skin is, the top layer of the skin is impaired and the top layer of the skin can't protect the lower level of the skin from invaders on the outside anything not invaders like infection but invaders allergens things that are going to inflame the skin things that are going to be like like asthma for the lungs you inhale something that's going to make the lungs get inflamed on the skin it touches the skin the skin gets inflamed so number 1 is moisturizers emollients and and we call it, you know increasing the barrier do
0: you have a favorite
1: I love Vanny cream the whole yeah. line of Vanny cream whether yeah, it's cream too. ointment lotion soap all of it that's my favorite. My Me wife, too. My wife loves Vanny cream ointment. It used to be called Vanny ply. Um, so that's our favorite for sure. And it's great for sensitive skin. The, the funny thing is, you know, there's some chemicals in, in Vanny cream. All the cr- different creams have chemicals. And there's also the, a whole other line of products that are super organic. Made with no chemicals, just plant-derived products. And you don't even know the number of patients come in my office with a horrible rash. they like, oh, it can't be my cream. It's organic. And I remind them, you know, poison oak is a plant that causes it's a good rash. reminder there are, there's a whole chapter in our derm textbook it's huge with a million different fancy words of all these different plants that cause rashes right so they come in with a cream that has 30 different plant products in it they're getting a rash they are shocked to find out that that's causing the rash but you know back to eczema emollients number one washing the skin Maybe your your child had really crazy cradle cap. Maybe you weren't washing his scalp as much. Which, with you have eczema, you shouldn't be washing so much. Mm. Unless this kid, I tell my patients, unless your kid's filthy, playing in the mud, you don't need to soap their whole body up every day. You know the groin, armpits, neck. Every three days, you can go in the bath every day, but you don't need to rinse those areas with soap or wash them and lather them with soap every day. You don't want to impair the membrane. The body's natural oils are there to help. Mm. Um, Same with hair, by the way. Excuse me?
0: Same with hair washing? Do you recommend?
1: Well, again, back to all my adult female patients who have their hair done nicely, don't wash their hair more than once or twice a week. Or patients with extremely curly hair who can't because it's so much work, they end up doing fine once or twice a week. And yeah. then there's, like myself and a lot of guys, or people with short hair, anyone, um, wash it more regularly every day or when there's more than that. So. Uh, I find it fine as long as you're not having a problem. Now, if you're dealing with cradle cap and seborrhea, you need to wash your hair more. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, you know, with the eczema, moisturizing emollients, uh, gentle wash, not a very harsh wash. Uh, after you get out of the shower, you you want to pat dry. You don't want to use super hot water. Super hot water feels great, especially on eczema, it makes it so much drier afterwards. Moisturize right away, or put medication on. And now we don't have just steroids. We have a whole plethora of non-steroidals that we have for patients that can be maintenance therapy or even active therapy for rescue uh, when needed.
0: That's great to hear because I actually find a lot of success in recommending steroids. I do recommend them often for, for eczema, but a lot of my patients don't like the sound of the word steroid and they right. want to know if there are other options that are helpful.
1: Yeah. So I think it's very important to describe what we're doing when we're using our steroids and, and how to use it appropriately and what, why we're using it. Um, the first thing is I tell them, you know, this is not going to make you really good at baseball or win the Tour de France, <laughs> not that kind of steroid. Uh, it's also topical and yes, if you cover your entire body in it every day, you're going to absorb a lot more than if you put a little tiny bit on your skin. When it comes to triamcinolone point one percent, this is a low potency steroid that has a very low concentration and you're using a very little bit, you know, hopefully most of the time we're not covering our patients in it. But even if we had to give them oral steroids for a very short course, usually get very well tolerated. So if we need a little steroid cream here and there, it uh, usually does really well. But there's also topical side effects if overused. So we need to make sure we're telling them if you overuse this, you're thinning the skin, stretch marks, whitening of the skin, blood vessel formation, all these things can happen if you're overusing it. So don't keep using it if the problem is calm and don't use way too much of it. That's why I have them come back for follow-ups. Make sure how often are you using your medicine? If you need it five days a week, every week, and you stop for two days and it's back, we need to figure something else out. And now we have the new systemic medications for eczema. There's injectable medications. There's now pills as well, the JAK inhibitors. Um, And so we have a lot of our whole armamentarium is huge for eczema. And it's just ever expounding, actually.
0: And I find also with steroids, when we talk about the side effects of skin thinning, things like that, I, I don't see it very often.
1: Good. Yeah. Have you seen it?
0: So I do see a lightening of the skin as eczema is resolving, but I always think of it as the new skin coming and not actually skin thinning.
1: Yeah, well, it's actually not always from the steroid when I mean, you're talking about That's the what hypopigmentation. I mean, yeah. Right, right. It's it's the post inflammatory hypopigmentation. Right. So there is so much inflammation in the skin when it gets really severe and red and scaly and inflamed and itchy and scratchy. Just like that show. And <laughs> It gets so much so that that inflammation, which is attacking your epidermis, it's in the dermis, attacking the epidermis. Right. It's knocking out the melanocytes, and you're not getting all that melanin production. And so all of a sudden, all the inflammation is gone. You throw some steroids on it or whatever you need to use. And. You're left with this hypopigmented patch, which comes back. I mean, it almost always comes back, the color. But that's just post-inflammatory hypopigmentation. It's not actually from the steroid usually.
0: And so just to clarify for people listening, melanocytes are the are the cells in the body that produce the skin color. And when he says hypopigmentation, that means the skin has lost its color. Right, thank you. It's so a white color. We'll just I um <laughs> thank I appreciate you. Um so yeah, so I I also want to say that if you don't treat eczema, there's a lot of harm in not treating it because eczema is so itchy, so uncomfortable. A lot of kids I've seen that scratch so much they can actually get infections in their skin. So steroids are so effective.
1: Yeah, and that's what we call lichenification. Like, um patients who come in with very long standing untreated eczema. They're scared of using the steroids or they haven't had it for a while. or They moved, they lost their bottle, whatever. They come in and they the skin has been scratched for so long. Just think of a callus on your foot. If you keep rubbing on it, doing something too long, you get a thickening of the skin. Lichenification is you're scratching these eczema patches for so long that it gets thickened and it looks like lichen on a tree. That's why it's called lichenification, these fancy Latin words from the, uh, the old guys. But
0: So for patients, before they come to see a dermatologist, it sounds like the things they should try would be emollient, something like Vaniply. They can try an over-the-counter steroid once or twice a week. Um,
1: yeah, gentle skin care, um, over-the-counter steroids would include Cortaid, 1%. A lot of times for patients, especially on the face or sensitive areas like the neck, the skin folds, the groin, the armpit, I'll recommend to try that first to see if that's going to control it. And if it does, great. You want the weakest medication possible whenever we're treating any disease.
0: And not using hot water, that's good advice. I, I myself love taking showers with hot water, so I think that's... Good to hear. That's not that helpful. You
1: know, it's great talking to a pediatrician today because the other thing I always recommend patients, other than a humidifier in the room, which can be helpful in the winter,
0: yes,
1: is bleach baths. And that's another thing I bring up the word steroid patient or antibiotic, and patients get freaked out. But when I bring up bleach baths or crazy glue, which is another topic, when I bring up bleach baths, they their eyes open up huge and look at me like I'm a crazy person. It works. Thank you. the, The thing I always tell them is this is recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Yes. It's on the AAP website. Yes. So bleach bath, I recommend a, a full bathtub for a kid who's old enough where they can keep their head out of the water and you fill the bathtub up. You do about a quarter cup of bleach and this is Clorox, whatever home bleach you have. So it's about four capfuls, the cap at the top of the, of the bleach, not the big detergent cap, but the little tiny cap, four capfuls, about a quarter cup of bleach in a full bathtub. And they lay in there 15 to 20 minutes, neck down. After that time, wash it off. <laughs> the bleach gets off your, your skin And that's going to help. If you do that once a week, it really helps your eczema heal. If
0: their child has eczema, what are they likely to see as the child gets older? Will it go away? Will it come and go?
1: Well, I think the data shows about half of patients with childhood eczema end up having it as an adult, usually a much more mild version. Some people have filagrin deficits and true genetic deficits, but for the most part, it gets more mild with time. And kids, in my experience especially in kids, the younger they are, the more eczema there is. And as they get older, they tend to have less and less of it. In general, it tends to wax and wane. Winters are usually worse. Once I always tell patients, once the heat gets turned on, once it's cold out, that's what dries everything up. And once the heat's on and everything is super dried out, that's it. Takes lot of time.
0: Do you see a lot of adults that get it de novo or, or most of the time it starts in
1: childhood? There are cases. It does happen sometimes. But depending on how old the patient is, you really have to question why. So the older they are, it'd be really weird to get de novo atopic dermatitis. You start wondering, is there some kind of supplement, some new medication, something they are exposed to, hypersensitivity reaction of some sort. Um, but there are cases of adult onset, new onset atopic dermatitis.
0: Okay. This is great. Thank you. All right. On to the next. All right, Sorry, so talking we, about adults too much. No, no, no. This <laughs> is great. This is great. I think eczema is so relevant. I think about a quarter of kids have experienced eczema at some time in their life. So this is great. If you don't have eczema, you know somebody who has eczema or 10 people have eczema. Or someone who has a kid with it. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so I wanted to ask you about athlete's foot. This comes up a lot. How do parents prevent athlete's foot with their kids? Is it really about wearing sandals and not sharing, and and not uh, wearing sandals around the pool?
1: Great question. I never get asked how to prevent it because when patients are in my office, they have it already. Okay, okay. (laughs) But in terms of I had a, T- talk about re- ways to prevent it which would be again back to proper hygiene back to people who have known athlete's foot or onychomycosis which is fungus of the nails and they, if an adult has that keep your socks on try to keep your feet off the, off the same objects that everyone else didn't have their feet on or then you're better chance of spreading it um, one thing that can be done like preventatively for for athlete's foot would be vinegar soaks mm. so you can do half water half vinegar that's regular vinegar or apple cider vinegar.
0: So acid. It, the, the, yeah,
1: it kills fungus. And so you put half water, half vinegar in like a pot or a bucket. And you put your feet in there for 15, 20 minutes once a week, just like the bleach bath. And it also can kill fungus. And it, it can be pre- preventative as well. Wow. Uh, the other thing would be for kids, especially if they're playing sports, you know, you want to clean the inside of their shoes, let the shoes dry out uh, every all, every now and then. And then not reusing the same socks too often, <laughs> hopefully ever. And even their their walking shoes. My father's a podiatrist, and he used to always say, you should have two pairs of walking shoes, daily shoes. You should alternate every day with shoes you're wearing.
0: That's good advice. That's good advice. You know, it's interesting when you talk about good hygiene, because I agree, hygiene is incredibly important. But then you hear about um, kids that live in, you know, like the Amish. They have Mm -hmm. such low incidence of eczema. um, They roll around. There's a lot of dirt exposure. So I always get confused with how hygienic to recommend our kids to be
1: good point and then another yeah. the question that always comes up or doesn't always come up but maybe should is diet and how much uh absolutely the, uh it's a whole nother conversation to get into that i'm not prepared to speak about but I the agree. uh the overprocessed food with all the different chemicals and preservatives in our current diet that we call food uh, these this day and age if you go in the grocery store all the stuff that sits on a shelf for weeks and months on end that we eat and put in our kids maybe that has something to do with it too
0: I, I couldn't agree more. So you're saying that's probably what... I'm sure the that has a discussion. big role. They pretty
1: they pretty clean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good point. Thank you. Um, okay. A few more questions. One, uh, Hives. Hives comes up so much in our office. Mm. As a dermatologist, what is your go-to recommendation?
1: Go see an allergist. Just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a good recommendation. <laughs> no. So, I mean...
0: <laughs> that's what my allergist friends would say. They'd say, come see us first before you see... 100%. So, I
1: mean, as a dermatologist, there's a lot of conditions that I diagnose and I don't treat. Yes one of one of them would be hives to some degree. If someone has pretty mild hives and it's coming and going and it's not severe, there's no angioedema like lip swelling, tongue swelling which would be concerning for throat swelling and not being able to breathe, uh, as long as they just have hives, I tell them this is a reaction to something. Yes. Sometimes we can elicit the the find out what was causing it from a history and talking more about it, what changed in that time period, but the vast majority of the time we can't. I'll recommend antihistamines over the counter to block it and see if that stops it. If it does, I recommend that for about a month or two and then stopping and seeing if it's gone by then. Sometimes it just wears off. It's short-lived. And if not, or if they want an answer now, I send them to the allergist. But the problem is, even with hives, I'd say the majority of time are very commonly I send patients to an allergist or patients see the allergist already and they don't have an answer. They can't find the cause. Yes, yes. So uh, hives are the great mystery. Yes, the cause of it?
0: yes, we see them in a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. So when they're long-lasting, sometimes I will punt it to a dermatologist or an allergist.
1: Yeah, and there are the, med- the new medications as well for urticaria, So
0: Yes, yep. Yeah. Um, okay, and then lastly, just to talk about what I think is so important, I know you agree with me, is, is being careful in the sun. Um, if you get a really bad sunburn... Um, that can cause the skin to be itchy. Oh, no. What do you recommend for sunburn treatments?
1: So as a Mohs surgeon, I cut out skin cancer, uh, at least spend at least one day a week, every week cutting out skin cancer, if not more. And I'm very passionate about sun protection. I grew up in the house with a sunbather. I was a sunbather when I was younger. I was probably the tannest kid in the San Fernando Valley. And I'm very passionate about preventing skin cancer. Now, I have dark hair, dark eyes, more olive-toned skin. I tan easily. My risk is very low. But a lot of people, especially my patient population, very fair golfers, sun-exposed patients who have light eyes, light hair, light skin, and tons of skin cancer. I have patients coming in the door with 20, 30 skin cancers at a time. And patients that are young, I explain to them. Well, I mean, for that matter, I have patients with skin cancer who I talked about sun avoidance and they still, or sun protection, I should say, and they still don't do it. They show up for their skin cancer surgery with a peeling sunburn. But uh, I, I, I'm very passionate about explaining and, and educating patients on prevention of, of, of sun exposure to the high level and sunburns. And, you know, obviously, zinc sunscreen is super important to prevent that's broad spectrum SPF 30 or more with water resistance in that sunscreen and being reapplied wide brim hats, UPF factor clothing, like rash guards seeking shade when possible, not laying in the sun. I never tell patients to stay inside. I always do your thing, be outdoors. It's the healthiest thing you can do, but protect yourself while doing so. If you're super sensitive, especially now, if you didn't follow that advice or something happened, then we had a sunburn. So the things that we want to do in that case. And this is coming from someone who actually had a real burn with gasoline as a child. So I know wow. all about burns to another level, but if you have a sunburn. You did? You, yeah, that's a whole other story. To hear more next about that podcast. later. <laughs> in next <this> podcast. <laughs> um, when you have a true sunburn, one if it's severe, like sun poisoning, we can prescribe prednisone, oral steroids, which can help calm it down. But for the general sunburn, what you want to do afterwards is, first of all, the skin has been damaged from ultraviolet radiation. Your skin has been overdosed with radiation, so it's super inflamed, and there's this whole inflammatory cascade going on under the skin. Do not get more sun. Your skin can't tolerate any more radiation. And that's what this is. This is ultraviolet radiation. So moisturize, 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 moisturize. Emollients are super important during that phase. And aloe vera and vitamin E are like the best things you can put on the skin, especially aloe vera, especially 100% natural aloe vera, one of the best things you can do to the skin. But hydrating like crazy, not doing the things you do when you have eczema, being very delicate with the skin, not washing it thoroughly too much, uh, and just letting the skin heal is what's most important. Even some topical steroids can help some areas as well.
0: Great advice. Thank you so much. Um, any final advice that you want to offer to parents that are listening?
1: I guess the best advice would be to Relax. Uh, when you see a little rash, nothing to freak out about. If it's not spreading fast, if a new spot isn't growing fast, relax. Come let your providers know, a pediatrician, dermatologist, what's going on. And we'll help you and let you know if anything needs to be concerning or not, anything needs to be biopsied or not, or if there's just a simple cream we can put on. Don't forget about it. Don't not do anything about it, but take it easy.
0: Thank you so much, Hal Whitesbuck, for coming in. If you guys live in Southern California or anywhere near California, he's phenomenal. Go see him if you have any questions about the skin. Thank you so much for being here and for your time.
1: Thanks for having me. And I just want everyone out there to know, since you're listening to this, it's so nice talking to Dr. Hawkman because she has this wonderful smile the entire time.
0: Aw, thank you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. Also, if you could take a moment and leave a five-star review wherever it is you listen to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. It really makes a difference to help this podcast grow. You can also follow me on Instagram at Ask Dr. Jessica. See you next Monday.